And if you go through the Gospels, especially in the book of John, you'll find a number of different situations where Jesus says, I am. You know, I am this, or, or, I, am, or I am this, I am that. And, and last week we asked the question, who is it that's going to strengthen me? And Jesus answers that question for us. He says, I'm going to be the one who's going to give you the strength that you need. And this week we're going to ask the question, who is it that's going to direct me? Who's going to lead me? Who's going to show me how to live? Who's going to give me a reason to live? Who's going to give me hope? Who is the one that's going to give me life? And so I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 14 today. If you've got your Bibles, go to John chapter 14. If you don't have them, uh, no alarm, we'll provide the verses for you on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we do have those at the Info Hub that we'd be happy to give you one as our gift to you today before you leave. And you can stop by there. In just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter here at Genesis Church. And Easter is a pretty big deal, as we all know, in uh, many uh, churches uh, across the U.S. And uh, it's going to be an exciting day for Genesis Church. It's going to be a busy day for Genesis Church too. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions in thinking about that. First of all, who is it that you're going to invite? All right, there are people living around you right now, uh, neighbors, some of your family and friends who are waiting for you to invite them to come to church with you on Easter Sunday. And I think this Sunday or this, this coming Easter Sunday it would be a great time to invite them to be your guest. The other question I'm going to ask you is where, where will you serve? You know, if you call Genesis Church your home, it's going to be a very busy day here, and we need some extra hands. And, and maybe it just so happens that on the schedule, uh, you're already serving, that you've got a week off. I want to challenge you to go to your ministry leader and say, hey, where can I be used? Where can you use me? Or to go back to the info hub today after the service and say, hey, I'm not serving anywhere, but I'd like to volunteer my time on Easter Sunday. Uh, where can you use me? And we'll help find a place for you to serve. But here's an important question too, an important question I think especially for this service. Uh, this being our more crowded of the two services, I'm going to start challenging you right now and in a couple of weeks I'm going to ask a commitment for a group of you that will say, here's what we'll do. On Easter Sunday, April the 12th, we'll do the 9 o'clock service because we need to make some seats available and this is probably going to be the more popular of the two services on Easter Sunday. And so if for you, for one week, you know, be willing to throw off your schedule a little bit, you can get out of here early, get to brunch or get to lunch sooner. I think the Masters is on that day. Day, you know, be a great day for you. Hopefully, the weather will be real nice. But we'll be looking for some commitments of people who would say, "Hey, I'm willing to attend the nine o'clock service just to make some seats in here." You know, and right now I know that you know we may be looking around and say, "Well, there's some empty seats, but there are going to be more people here on Easter Sunday, and we want to make seats available to them." I think I also forgot to say that if you're in middle school, uh, they dismiss at this time to go do their uh, middle study, middle school. Bible study, and uh, you can meet the leaders in the back and, and, and find your way to that. But this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at John chapter 14, and the scene is the Last Supper. And we were just talking about the Last Supper a few minutes ago as we took communion together, but it's the night before Jesus' death. And Jesus had just broke the news to his disciples that he's going to be leaving. And as anyone can imagine, the disciples are a little confused, and they're a little concerned at these words. And it's here that Jesus shares some comforting yet bold words about the future. And if you've got your Bibles, let's look at John chapter 14 together, beginning in verse 1, and let me read a few verses here for us. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of doing some skiing, and, and I talked about that last week, and I, skiing is really nice, and you may hate winter, and you may hate the snow, and I do too, and it gets old, but when you're in the mountains, it's a whole new ball game, all right? And so being outside and snow skiing is really just a wonderful thing, and I, I'm just an average skier, but I love being outdoors, and I love being outdoors for, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, the sight is awesome. You know, to be outside, to stand at 9,500 feet and just look across all of the mountain terrain, I mean, it really does take your breath away. And I'm not going to lie either, I love the thrill of skiing. I love the challenge, I love the exploration of it, I love the adventure, and just being outside and going fast and trying some new things, being humiliated every once in a while, skiing's a pretty awesome thing, lots of challenges, great territory to explore. Now, with all the terrain at a large ski slope like those that you find out west, there are many ways to get down a mountain. So you may take one particular lift to the top of the mountain, but then it may offer 20, even 30 different ways to actually get to the base of the mountain. And it's important when you get off of that lift, and as you're thinking about how you're going to get down the mountain, that you choose the right trail. All right, you must choose wisely. Now, when you get to the top of the mountain, you often find a map like this. All right, now, this, this isn't quite as detailed as some of the maps that you'll find at the top of the mountain, but they'll typically have a large billboard that you can ski up to, and you can look for yourself, and you can pick out the trail that you want to choose, and you can see the name of it, and, and you can see the varying degrees of difficulties, and this is important. Like, this is where you must choose wisely, because if you're a beginner, all right, you don't want to go anything, go down anything that's black or has a diamond shape to it at all. Just stay away from these altogether. Now, some of the nice resorts, they actually have a host who is standing at the top of the mountain near this sign, ready to direct you, ready to give you some advice. And so you can ski up, and if you're unfamiliar with the mountain, you can say to the, the ski patrol member or to this host, you know, what would you recommend for me? Where are the conditions the best? And they may ask, well, what level of skier are you? And they'll work with you so that you can choose the best route down. Again, there are many ways to get to the base of the mountain. There are many different paths. There are many different trails. And that's pretty typical of, about, uh, of how most people feel when it comes to thinking about heaven. That there are really just, there are many ways to get to heaven. I mean, all roads lead to heaven. Just choose one of them. Watch this video. I think that there is one God, and I think that there's just many ways to get to Him. Many ways to get to Him. Many ways to get to Him. Do you think there is one specific religion that is right, or are all religions good? Or all right? religions good. All religions yeah. are right. Yeah, I don't think one specific one's. Do you believe that there is one true religion, or are all of them true? I would say that there is not one true religion, but I don't know if all of them are true. I think it's really arrogant to say that, like, my religion is the right religion and everybody else is wrong, um, because how do you know yours is right? You could be, like, you could, that's just what your parents taught you and what, how you were raised. How, like, how do you know that your neighbor doesn't have the right religion or whatever and that yours is wrong? 
I think all religions are trying to get at the same thing, the answers that every culture is looking for and for higher meaning, but I don't think there's one right religion. Uh, no. I think they're all good. Um, I don't think there should be a set one. Um, because everybody has, you know, every, every religion has their, you know, ups and downs and their own little different things that people can relate to. Well, I'm like non-denominational, which is kind of like Christian, but we read the Book of Mormon. And my best friend is Jewish. So, like, how would it be right of me to say, well, since you guys don't believe, like, Jesus died for our sins, that, that makes you a bad person. I mean, she's my best friend. All roads lead to heaven. I mean, it's a pretty popular phrase. And chances are that you've heard this phrase if you've been flipping through the television or, or talking with some people maybe, you know, outside of this community or even if you get out of the Midwest sometimes, you'll find this to, to be even a more, more popular thought. And really, it's the safest answer. I mean, if you're willing to say all roads lead to heaven, I mean, you're, you're a fairly safe person. And whether you agree with it or not, you may have even nodded uh, agree, approvingly when someone with a different belief or, or, or religion has said that. But is getting to heaven really as open-ended as skiing to the base of the mountain? That there are a number of trails to choose from. It doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick one and go with it. Now, some people say that getting to heaven is kind of like a bicycle wheel. You know, if, the, if you're trying to get to the center of a bicycle wheel, just pick a spoke. It doesn't matter which spoke you choose. They all get there. Just choose one. And if that's the case, if that's true, it really wouldn't matter who you chose to follow or who you asked to direct you. But let's just suppose for a moment that all roads don't lead to heaven and that what Jesus says is true and that we can take it as truth and we can believe that He is the only way. And at the same time, let's suppose that there's someone who's been there, who's visited the earth and then returned to heaven. And if that's the case, then I'd be pretty interested in following the path that Jesus has prescribed to us. Let me be very clear in saying this. And I say this with no shame at all whatsoever. I believe that there is only one way to heaven. And that way is through Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here in John chapter 14, and that's what he's saying to his disciples as well. Now, months before he made this statement here in John chapter 14, Jesus began to break down the popular theory that all roads lead to heaven. And look what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus is speaking the message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to a number of different people coming from a different backgrounds and different roads and thoughts. And he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now here's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about heaven and he's talking about hell. 
And there's some that didn't like what he was saying then, and there are some that certainly do not like what Jesus is saying even today. We'd rather say that in the end, everyone ends up in heaven. And I'm not going to lie to you about something, because when I think about this, I'd still be satisfied to end up in heaven one day and find out that everyone made it there. You know, I mean, that's the type of heart that I want to have, and I think that's the type of heart that, that Jesus wants us to have, is that we want to see everyone in heaven. But that's not what he teaches. And what Jesus teaches is that there is only one way to heaven, and that way is through him. And gradually, we've created our own system of thinking today, of right and wrong, and we've determined for ourselves how it is that people really get to heaven. And that's a very clear indication that we're living in this age of moral relativism. And so the world is quick to offer us this direction on how we should live. You know, climb the ladder of success. You take care of yourself. Always question authority. Tolerate everything and anyone. The earth is a result of a cosmic explosion. You've evolved from an ape, and mankind continues to evolve and get better and better. Really? I mean, are you good with that? Is that what you want? Is that the path that, that you've chosen? I mean, that's the path that the world would love to point you down. But does it do it for you? I mean, does it, does it satisfy some of the greatest needs and greatest hopes that you have? I mean, does it motivate you to, to keep on living and to keep on trusting? Because let's just face it, I mean, life messes with you sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, one day everything's going fine, and then all of a sudden the next day comes and things get pretty difficult. And you've got some decisions to make. You've got a choice to make. And life changes with, without any warning, and, and we're all really trying to make sense of life. I think we can all come to agreement in that. And it's easy to think that we can do it on our own and that we can find our own way and we don't think we need anyone else, and, and, and we like to think that we've got it all together or that we're totally self-sufficient. King Solomon summed up these feelings in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Who's directing your life right now? Who, who's the leader of your life? Who or what are you following? And will you let Jesus direct you? Will you let him show you the way? Let me tell you why I choose Jesus. For me, I believe Jesus inspires hope. You know, I mean, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but I want to follow someone who inspires hope. I mean, don't you? Don't you want to follow someone that inspires hope, someone that you can believe in? I mean, I think it's easier to take direction from someone who has the ability to encourage me when I'm hurting or, or who, is, who can lift my spirits you know, when I'm feeling hopeless. Well, after Jesus told the disciples that he would be leaving, he left them with these words of hope in John chapter 14, verse 1. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I mean, why did Jesus say these words? Well, he knew what the disciples were thinking. I mean, he knew that they were a little freaked out about everything that was going on around them and that they needed some encouragement. I mean, pressure was mounting. Opposition towards Jesus was on the rise. The disciples knew that by simply hanging out with this guy and following Jesus that they were putting their own lives at risk, and his words and his presence did something for them. It, it, it meant something to them. It was comforting. His mere presence left people thinking that things were going to be okay, and that's what Jesus does for me. 
you know, when I'm facing some tough challenges or I've got a difficult decision to make or when, you know, I consider how, how challenging the economy is right now. Jesus' presence in my life is encouraging. You know, when I read His Word, when I talk with others, He gives me hope. That's why I follow Him. Let me show you what else He does for me. Because not only is He someone that I can put my hope in, but He's someone that I can trust too. Again, John chapter 14, verse 1, look at the second half of that verse. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, Jesus has earned the trust of His disciples over the last three years. And Jesus asked His disciples to trust Him. You know, He said, hey, just trust me. I know you may not understand everything. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be frightening, but just trust me. And in this situation, and for these people, he had earned their trust. You know, the disciples had, had, had learned to trust Jesus because he had spent time with them. And I don't know about you, but I want to follow someone that I can trust. You know, I want to I follow someone that I can put my hope in. I want to follow someone that I can trust. And I don't want to have to think twice about it. You know, I prefer to follow someone who's earned my trust. As we talked about last week, my wife and I just completed the financial peace uh, course that we offer here at Genesis Church, and it's a 13-week financial planning study offered by popular radio host, television host, writer, uh, Dave Ramsey, and it's really been a great experience for us and for our church, and we're going to be offering it again in, in, it again in April. If you've never gone through it before, I'd really challenge you to think about going and, and invite somebody to come with you. But Dave Ramsey offers this advice about budget planning and insurance and shopping for big purchase items, among other things. But there's one recommendation that Dave Ramsey makes that I think is very wise, and here's what he recommends. He recommends that everyone, you know, regardless of whether you're married or you're single, to have at least one to two accountability partners in your life. You know, have somebody that you can go to that has demonstrated some uh, wisdom in their financial dealings. Uh, go to someone who you can trust that's got some life experience and just ask them some tough questions that have to do with money that you're sorting through. Uh, like this, you know, maybe you're getting ready to buy your first house. And you're having a difficult time trying to understand whether you should get the 30-year mortgage or the 15-year mortgage. Ask your accountability partner. Get their advice. You know, what kind of direction would they give to you? And then make a decision from there. Or, you know, maybe you're trying to, to, to make a decision regarding whether to get whole life insurance or term insurance. And you don't know which one to go with. So you go to someone that you can trust. You know, you can trust their opinion. You ask them what the, you, you should do and, and they give you advice and you make a decision because of that. Or maybe you're thinking about buying a car. You know, and you can't decide whether you should go with the Toyota Sienna minivan or you should go with the Honda Odyssey minivan. And driving a minivan is cool, all right, all right? My wife and I drove a, drive a minivan, and don't, uh, no one should try and tell us that it's not cool, all right? It is cool. You can be cool and drive a minivan. But ask your accountability partner, you know, what do they think? What do they know? Find someone you can trust and follow them. And the disciples trusted Jesus. I mean, they had spent three years with this guy. He had been pouring into them, and he had earned their trust and that's why I and that's why many others follow him too. I mean, Jesus is reliable. He listens. He understands. He encourages you when you're down. He's consistent. He's always there. And I'm encouraged in knowing that he knows every bit of me. From my strengths to my greatest weaknesses. 
Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. And what that verse just says to us is that, hey, Jesus knows everything. He knows everything about us from the inside out. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. And for some people, that's not a real big accomplishment, you know? I mean, it doesn't take much. I mean, sorry, Ben Krause. But, uh, you know, hey, the Bible tells us that Jesus knows the numbers of hairs on our head. And if I bend over far enough, you can see that there is a little spot back there, but I'll try not to bend over too far. So, but that's how involved in our life he is. But it's more than counting hairs. The Bible tells us that God knows every tear that you have ever shed. Every dream you've ever had. Every thought. He knows your greatest desires. He knows your name. Our God created you. And in Psalm 139, it says that you were knit together in your mother's womb and that he ordained every single day of your life. That's how personal and intimate our God is. And I follow Jesus not only because he knows me, but because I can trust him. Let me tell you another reason why I allow him to direct my life. Jesus knows where I want to go. Jesus knows where I want to go, and, and I think that's pretty important. Before we had children, which seems like eons ago, and this was before the minivan, we did not drive a minivan because it was not cool without kids, all right? <laughs> but we took this trip to Maine together, and it was a great getaway, just the two of us. Uh, we were staying at a motel in a town that we weren't very familiar with, uh, but it was dinner time. And we didn't know where anything was, and so we got in our rental car, and we went out exploring, looking for a place to eat. Now, we weren't having any, fi- we weren't having any luck finding uh, anything to eat, so I stopped and asked for directions. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm willing to stop and ask for directions. And so we stopped at this mom-and-pop gas station. And, I mean, it was mom-and-pop. Like, pop was actually out at the gas pump filling up people's cars for them. So we pull into this town here in Maine, and, and I roll down the window, and here's this guy. And I say to him, sir, uh, can you help us uh, find maybe a restaurant for dinner? For dinner? And he, he kind of looked at me with this puzzled look and immediately replied, do you mean restaurants? And it's like, well, you know, forgive me for not using a more appropriate form of the English language. <laughs> But yes, I'm looking for a restaurant. Well, then he goes into this dialogue about how there's this little known secret in this town in Maine, this place called the Olive Garden, all right, of all places. And uh, it was like it was just Maine's best kept secret that nobody knew about. And I couldn't break it to the guy, but I wanted to let him know that Olive Garden wasn't Maine's hometown secret. And oh, by the way, that America had expanded from 13 colonies into 50 states (laughs) if he hadn't watched the news in a while. All right, but he was trying to help me understand where we should go. Well, I didn't want the Olive Garden, so we went to Maine's best kept secret. We went to Applebee's uh, that night here in this town. But here's the insider that Jesus is. Jesus knows where we want to go. I mean, he knows you and he knows your heart and he knows that you are holding out that life all adds up to something. Like that we're, we're really heading somewhere, that on the other side of all of this, that there's something else. 
And philosophers have described that every single one of us has this God-shaped hole in our life. And we try to fill this hole with with all sorts of different things that we feel like can add value to our life. You know, one of those things that we feel adds value to our life is romance. You know, if 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 we can put everything that we have into romance, that that will somehow fulfill our desires. Or we can do the same with our career or with goals or with the stuff that we purchase or, or even our kids. But these things will, will never really quite fill it because the hole must be filled by God and Jesus knows this. It's how God created us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, God says, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. I just reflect on that verse for just a second. Do we have that? Can we put that back up there? He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. God knows that in the end, we all want heaven. And we come to realize this and know this even more when we, we sit at a funeral and we, we see the family of a loved one that dies. And we'd like to believe, we'd like to know that we're going to see that person again. God created us for eternity. He's the one who who gave us the hope of heaven. And that's why Jesus is here to direct us. That's why Jesus is here in John chapter 14 to show us the way on how we can get there. John chapter 14 verse 2. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. I like what this verse says when you really break it down and you get behind it. It says that Jesus is our forerunner in heaven. The Greek word used here suggests that Jesus goes out ahead of us, that it was the same term used in the, Rome, in the first century to describe someone who would go ahead of the Roman army and blaze a trail for them, and that's what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he went as our forerunner, he went to prepare a place for us. Verse 3, Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus came to point us in the right direction, and his way is good. It's very good. The path that Jesus has prescribed for all of us. John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life, Jesus said, and have it to the full. You know, I think one of the best kept secrets today is that those who are living the most fulfilling lives today are those who know what they want and where they want to go and how they're going to get there. And I'm one of those. You know, I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I couldn't imagine my life being any greater because of Him. I mean, because of what Jesus has done for me, His forgiveness for me, His salvation for me, I have hope. And my hope is found in Jesus But who's going to direct you? Who is it that's going to direct your life? Are you leading? Or are you allowing God to lead? Are you allowing Jesus to lead your life? Are you heading down a path right now that that seems to make sense, that, that offers the right destination or... Are you just kind of jumping in wherever and hope that it le- hoping that it leads to somewhere? And maybe as I talk about all of this and talk about Jesus being the way, you know, being our guide, I mean, you want to believe it. 
I mean, you really do. You want to believe it, but you're just, you're still not convinced. I mean, you're not going to be one of those who just gives an easy and says, well, sure, whatever, I'll take it. You know, I don't really understand it, but I'll take it. I'm not convinced. And, And maybe you're just someone that you're here today and you've got a lot of questions. Can I offer you some encouragement in that? There's nothing wrong with your questions. I think questions are okay. I think questions do greater work for us than we sometimes understand, you know, as a community, as a church. And I just want to give you permission that if you're here today and you know that, hey, I've got the longest list of questions, and until I get some of these answered, there's no way I'm taking that step in my life. Can I just give you permission to keep hanging out around this place? I want to give you permission as the pastor of this church to say, if you've got questions, I can't think of a better place for you than to be right here working out those questions. Because here's what I think. I don't think questions are all that bad. Let me offer this final perspective. Look at at John chapter 14 again. Thomas interrupts. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? So he's got a question. Now, have you ever heard the phrase before, doubting Thomas? You've heard that phrase before. We use it outside the church and inside the church. That's this guy right here. This guy gets pinned for being the doubting Thomas. He gets the bad rap about being the doubter. He's the guy that doubted that it was Jesus that had come back from the dead, and he didn't believe until he was able to take his fingers and place them in the holes where Jesus' hands were nailed. He had to put his hand in Jesus' side, his pierced side, and until he did this, he wouldn't believe. And I kind of think Thomas gets a bad rap. I do. I think he gets a bad rap. I think he gets pinned as being this doubter or this guy with all the question. And he's the one that speaks up here in this situation right here and says, Lord, I just want to be clear because I've got a lot invested into this. And before I take an even greater leap into all this and put my life out on the edge, I want to know where it is that we're going and the way and how we're to get there. And here's what I say. Good for Thomas. Good for Thomas for being the guy who asks the question that everyone's thinking in the circle. That he's willing to step forward and say, I've got a question, and Thomas is willing to take the bullet. And so in thinking about this message here this morning, uh, knowing that there would probably be some questions, I spent some time looking at a really helpful tool this past week. It's a great tool for people who might have questions. The, The title of the book is Evidence for Christianity. Historical Evidences for the Christian Faith by Josh McDowell. Now, this book looks very intimidating, all right? And I have to read it slow because this guy makes me look like a kindergartner, all right, and how he writes. But, but it looks more intimidating than it really is. And Josh McDowell does a great job of just addressing some of the common questions that people are asking not only in the church today but outside the church, especially this popular question that we've been talking about, and that is, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? And just to give you a brief summary over one of the selections in his books, he writes, throughout history, people have been giving a variety of answers to the question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And whatever their answer, no one can escape the fact that Jesus really lived and that his life radically altered human history forever. I I think we'd have to come to some sort of agreement on that statement, that no matter what you feel about Jesus and who he is, He's, he's, he's done some things to kind of shape the way we are. He's even a world today. The world-renowned historian Yaroslav Palikian, which we almost named our second boy Yaroslav, actually, which is very peculiar. Here's what he writes. 
He says, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It is by his name that millions curse and in his name that millions pray. There's another book that kind of addresses the issue of how influential Jesus has been over the years. The title of the book is, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? D. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb attempt to answer that question, and they begin with the assumption that the church is Jesus' primary legacy to the world today. That that 2,000 years later, that the church is Jesus' primary legacy. And so they examine what has happened in history that displays the influence of the church, ultimately of Jesus. Here's a few contributions they cite hospitals, that the church has had a a major part in the growth of hospitals or the creation of hospitals. During the Middle Ages, you know, the church uh, was looking for ways to aid those people who were in need, and so the church was responsible for, for this growth and this explosion of hospitals, Jesus' legacy, that the church has been involved with education. Uh, The church was an advocate for education. Universities were created during the Middle Ages as a way to educate common people. And the church was an advocate. The church was a a, a driving force in the creation of universities. Jesus' legacy. Or government. You know, the church was the catalyst behind the formation of representative government as evidenced in, you know, the United States of America. You know, the church was involved. Jesus' legacy. Or the church was the driving force behind civil liberties, benevolence and charity for the needy, and for the creation of higher standards of justice in the court systems. The church was involved. Jesus' legacy. Now, at the same time, there have been some so-called Christians in so-called churches in the world that have not done a good, not done good work, not, no, not done a good thing for Jesus' legacy. And that's unfortunate. And I apologize for that. And I'm not expecting in any way that this information that I'm giving to you will answer all of your questions before you walk out of this room in just a few minutes. But isn't it fascinating? Isn't it at all fascinating to realize that one person could have such an impact on the entire world? A carpenter living in a small country, a small town in Israel. Jesus has been influencing lives for two millennia now. And so here's what I want to leave you with today. And I'm thinking especially of those who have questions. I want to leave you with a question. It's a question that I want you to take with you today, and and I hope it messes with you. Because I'd like you to have to spend some time kind of working through it. Here's the question. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Because I think that everyone at some point in their life is going to have to answer that question for themselves. How can you avoid, how can you turn your head from someone who has had so much influence? I mean, and can you afford to say, well, he was influential? Or he had a lot of charisma. Or he lived his life really well. 
can you really afford to make such a statement? Or can you afford to say that, you know what, I do not believe that he is the only way to heaven, but I will give you this, he was a great moral teacher. And I am willing to consider his words because he was such a great moral teacher. Well, C.S. Lewis challenged this sort of thinking. C.S. Lewis was a well-known professor in English, of English literature at Cambridge University and a former agnostic. And he had plenty of questions. And after surveying some of the evidence regarding Jesus' identity, here's what Lewis writes. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great teacher, a moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. C.S. Lewis had questions. And throughout his entire life, he worked to answer those questions. And he ultimately gave his life to Jesus Christ and followed Jesus. But the question you go home with today is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because maybe you'd have to say, you know what, he's a liar. I mean, he claimed to be God. He was not shy about this. And as you read through the Bible, there is no doubt that Jesus believed that he was God and he was clear in saying this. But if he said he was and knew he wasn't, he's a liar. (coughs) Or is he a lunatic? I mean, is it possible that, that he thought he was God but was greatly mistaken? Because maybe he was just crazy. And maybe he was insane. But how would you account for all of the influence? I mean, could such a crazy man have such a positive impact on history? Or could he really be God? Is it possible to believe that the man who said he was God really was God? In Mark chapter 14, The high priest was questioning Jesus before his death, and he asked him the question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? He was asking him, are you God? Jesus' response is loud and it's clear. I am, he said. And back in John chapter 14, our last verse in verse 6, Jesus, as he speaks to his disciples with all of their looks of concern, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the message in the verse is pretty clear. That Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. He is the only way. He is the only spoke. He shows us how to get there. He's the truth. His way leads to life. There is only one way to get to heaven, and that way is through Jesus. And before you cast him aside as an unloving God, consider this. Don't forget this. There is something great and amazing about his love and his forgiveness. It's available to anyone. 
God doesn't force His love upon anyone. He allows you to make the choice for yourself. You don't have to earn it. You can't buy it. It has nothing to do with how much offering you put in the offering bag. It's not dependent on how you've lived in the past. It has, doesn't have anything to do with how you're living in the present. It doesn't have, to do with, have anything to do with how many times you've been to church. His grace and His love and His forgiveness is available to anyone who will accept it. Anyone who is willing to say, I need Jesus to direct me. And so what are you going to do with Jesus? Liar? Lunatic? Or could He be Lord? And at some point, everyone has to answer that question, but before it's too late. So this morning, maybe you kind of have this feeling you're standing at the top of the mountain. You've ridden the lift, you've done your time, and it's time to ski to the base. You've got a choice to make. And you're, you're kind of feeling hopeless. You know, you're looking for answers, you're curious, you're looking for direction in life, and you want to believe that it's all true. But you just know that when you're really honest with yourself, that you can't put all of this together yet. Well, like the host that stands at the top of the mountain offering advice for the right way down the mountain. Can I just say this to those of you that may still have your questions? Why not try following Jesus? You know, I, I want to give you permission to say, hey, you don't have all of your questions answered yet. And, and let's just be clear, you don't have to even believe that Jesus is the only way. But what would happen in your life if you just stepped out this morning and you made a commitment and you said, you know what, I'm going to check it out for a while. And what would it look like for you to just make a commitment that, you know what, I'm going to be here every Sunday and I'm going to listen, uh, I'm going to read for myself and I'm going to consider the statements made or the questions that are asked. Or what it would mean for you when you walk out this door this morning to go up to the info hub and say, I don't have a Bible, could I have one? We won't pin you as somebody. We're not going to take your picture with a, this uh, surprise camera or whatever. Uh, we'll give you a Bible. You take it home and you just start reading it for yourself. What would happen if you tried praying? And you might have to go and put yourself all by yourself where no one can hear you so that no one thinks you're crazy. But you just said to God, God, I don't know if I believe in you and I don't know if I believe in your son Jesus or even that you're the only way to heaven. But I've got some questions that I'm trying to process and to sort through would you answer these questions for me? And to trust and believe that maybe God, He'll figure out some way of answering those questions for you. Or get yourself around some people, you know, that, that have this evidence of change in their life that are following Jesus and ask them questions. Get involved in a small group, you know, so you can be with some others and, and to ask these questions for yourself. Find a place to serve. But try following Jesus to the base of the mountain. You don't have to get everything else, but just try following Jesus. And maybe you're standing at the top of the mountain today, and you know in your heart for the first time that Jesus is the only way, and that you want Him to direct your life, and you need to make a decision today. You need to make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. We're going to sing a couple of songs in a moment, and after the service, I'm going to be up here in the front. We'll have others too, and I'd love to talk with you more about that. Let's pray.
Our God in heaven, we thank you for your son Jesus, that he has come to show us the way. And Lord, I know that there may be people here today, Lord, who've got some great questions. They've got some big ones, some big questions, God. And they're looking for answers. God, would you be faithful? Would you enter into their life as you're doing here this morning? And would you take them down that path and show them the way? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.